This is the Passive Real Estate Podcast, the premier podcast for passive real estate investors. Matt Jones interviews experienced passive investors who share their industry secrets and active investors who show you different ways to invest passively. Welcome, I'm Matt Jones, and today on the Passive Real Estate Podcast, I welcome Jeremy Dyer. Jeremy is the founder and managing partner of Starting Point Capital. Jeremy leads the company's investor relations, strategic partnerships, and serves as the director of marketing for the company. With a Bachelor of Science degree in marketing from the Carlson School of Management, having consistently attained top sales professional designation as a high-performing sales associate prior to launching a real or passive real estate investing company, Jeremy is uniquely positioned to drive the dynamic fulfillment of Starting Point Capital's vision. When investing in real estate, you should put your faith and trust into competence, credibility, effectiveness of the sponsors. They must have years of experience in order to identify a deal worth pursuing, resourcefulness to overcome the challenges as they inevitably emerge, and integrity while being entrusted with the uh, fiduciary responsibility of handling other people's money. Jeremy has extensive experience in real estate, both as an active and passive investor. Currently, Jeremy is passive uh, limited partner investor in over 3,000 multifamily doors, 17 passive real estate deals in process and a passive equity investor in over $350 million in assets. Jeremy resides with his wife, Marlene, and their four children, Jack, who I've met, uh, Mitch, Jet, and Juliana, and their dog, Bosco, in Lake Elmo, Minnesota. Welcome, Jeremy. Yeah, thanks, Matt, for having me. That was quite a mouthful. Yes, indeed. Uh, well, is there anything I missed? Anything else you'd like the audience to know about you? Yeah, you know, I know there's a lot of folks in my professional network that like to know a little bit more about what I'm doing, so I can kind of share a little bit of that story with your with your listeners today. Um, I really got my real estate investing journey started back in 2012. Um, I was kind of the poster child for the American dream in that I became a very uh, highly paid, highly compensated sales professional um, in my day job. And as a direct result of that, there really wasn't a lot of other investment options for me to make outside of maxing out the 401k, participating in the stock purchase plan. You know, I always tried to find, you know, the, the right index fund to get involved with, to diversify. I try to find that shiny new object stock to invest in, right? You know, those typical things that people that have a little bit of extra cash on the sidelines will typically do. So in 2012, my wife and I decided to start up our own uh, fix and flip business, uh, we partnered with my father, who was a licensed general contractor, and we would literally throw cash uh, down on single family homes that needed uh, some tender, loving care. Uh, we would typically implement, uh, you know, a business plan where we would flip those properties in about four to six months. Um, you know, typically we were putting in 40, 50, 60, 70, $80,000 into those properties, repositioning them, and then either choosing to rent them at that time, uh, or uh, just simply selling them and walking away with some profit, you know, on the table, right? So we started doing that in 2012. The challenge was, is at the time, my wife and I also decided to double down on children. So we went from two kids to four kids. Uh, my two older boys were incredibly active um, in the different sports and different you know, activities. And real estate as an active investor was becoming a second full-time job for me. So at that time, we just we chose to exit the flipping business and instead start investing our capital into real estate multifamily syndications, right? So in 2015, um, I made my first ever uh, investment into a real estate syndication. Um, at the time, I didn't even know what that word syndication meant, okay? Um, but I 
I, I literally held my breath, plugged my nose, sent in my wire transfer. And within three or four years later, you know, I had doubled my money. And from that point, I was hooked, right? So kind of fast forward to today, um, I'm currently active in, in actually 20 different um, real estate uh, syndication investments through uh, three different sponsors uh, that encompass uh, six different asset classes. Oh, fantastic. And so how did you decide upon which syndication sponsors to invest with? Yeah, great question. Um, you know, really networking obviously is key. Um, there's a gentleman that I have known for a number of years that was an active sponsor in the space. And just through my relationship with him, I was able to learn more about what he had going on. And, you know, I, I trusted the sponsor. I liked the, you know, the sponsor, right, that I was invested into. And I really kind of trusted him to be a good fiduciary, you know, of my capital investment. Um, there's other sponsors that I've met over the years as well. Uh, just really honestly playing that networking game, which is incredibly important in this space, is to get to know certain key players that are in the business, right? You know, not only from the fact that I might want to choose to invest my own hard-earned money with those sponsors, but also really honestly to find out which sponsors are really worth, you know, investing with right? Um, every sponsor's got a track record, right? Some sponsors have a track record that spans months, whereas others spans years, right? Uh, some sponsors have track records where they've had to go through some fairly difficult times and others really haven't. You know, some have teams of one and some have teams of hundreds, right? So just really kind of networking to get to know which players are out there in the space today that are really worthy not only of my own capital investments, but also the capital investments that I'm I'm encouraging my investors to make. Fantastic. And then you mentioned you're in six different asset classes. Uh, what are some of your favorite asset classes to invest in right now? Sure. I'm a I'm always a big fan of multifamily. So I would say that particular asset class is the one that I'm heavily invested in the most, uh, just because of the risk adjusted nature of multifamily, you know, uh, uh, housing is one of the most important things, you know, that an individual has to have outside of food and water. Okay. So that particular asset class appeals to me for that, for that particular reason. Um, I also like assisted living, um, assisted living got beat up pretty bad, uh, during the lockdowns in 2020. And as a result, that's been a good asset class for me to invest into, but I've also, uh, invested into retail, uh, flex office, uh, self-storage, um, I'm even invested into a marina, okay, you know, as a syndication. So, you know, there's lots of different asset classes out there for people to, you know, kind of pick and choose from based upon what their goals are and also what their risk tolerance is. But I'm a really big fan of diversification, not only if you're picking a specific asset class, but diversification within that asset class. And what I mean by that is diversification of sponsor and diversification of actual market that those sponsors typically focus on. Yeah. So you mentioned how, you know, you look into syndication sponsors and decide who is a good one to invest with, but when they bring you deals, how do you decide whether to pull a trigger on actually wiring money for one particular deal versus another? 
Yeah, I would say there's a couple of things there. You know, obviously one is my own access to capital, right? And how much uh, dry powder, so to speak, you know, I have on the sidelines and I'm willing to invest at that particular moment, right? But, you know, outside of that, it's really uh, looking at the track record of the sponsor deals that they've had that have gone full cycle. You know, why is it that the sponsor thinks that that particular property at that particular, you know, acquisition cap rate uh, or, you know, with that particular debt financing or, you know, the sponsor having stress tested, you know, minimum occupancy levels, you know, what is their actual business plan? Okay. How are they looking to push the ROI, right? What improvements are they looking to make on that particular asset that make that investment a good investment for me? Most sponsors in this space, you know, are typically all going to offer the same deal structure, right? With some slight variations, most are going to offer that seven to nine percent cash on cash return. That's a prep equity, you know, that sits ahead of you know the split that the sponsor is going to make. And then from there, typically above that seven or eight, you know, or nine percent uh, preferred return, you know, that split between the general partner and the limited partner is going to typically be you know 80, 20, 70, 30, you know, somewhere in there. And then most sponsors have a, an additional IRR hurdle you know, at 14, 15, 16%, where that split then above, you know, that uh, internal rate of return, you know, ends up being 50-50, okay? That's been my experience uh, with most deals that are out there, with most sponsors. So because most of them are offering very similar terms on kind of their glossy pitch deck, so to speak, right? You know, it's really up to the limited partner investor to really do their due diligence on the sponsor themselves, right? So I always encourage investors, don't chase after the best IRR, okay? Because all that is, is a projection, a target, right? Let's instead take a look at that sponsor's track record and what they've done historically in terms of what those historic projections and targets have been in the lens of what they've actually produced in terms of actual returns back to the investors. The good sponsors know that the number one priority is always capital preservation, right? The second priority is to not hit their projections, but rather to exceed them. Yep. Excellent points. And I would say that uh, all underwriting, all performers are going to be wrong because, you know, a deal throughout the, the course of the hold period, it doesn't work out exactly as you're projecting. There's always going to be hiccups that, you know, come along the way. Real estate is all about adding value to other people. An easy way to do that is to share this podcast with someone you know who wants to do more passive real estate investing. Also, subscribe and leave a review. Now, let's get back to the episode. And so what's a problem that you've encountered through uh, passive investment and, and how is it handled? Yeah, um, I mean, you know, a lot of that comes down to the to the sponsor specific, right? And every every good sponsor is going to tell you that there's always challenges in real estate, okay? You've probably heard this said before. I know I've said it before. I'm stealing this from a, a colleague of mine, but birds fly, fish swim, and real estate falls apart, that's just generally what happens in real estate, okay? So for a sponsor to not be transparent with you about issues that they've had on projects that they either currently have under management or properties that they previously had under management, if they're not willing to become vulnerable with you and tell you and communicate with you about times where they've gone through adversity and trials and challenges, right? That to me is an incredibly large red flag, 
Okay, because real estate always had a, has a tendency to have challenges, whether it's on the occupancy side or whether it's on the natural disaster side. Okay, uh, whether it's on the eviction side, you know, whether it's on the debt financing side, you know, especially with the you know huge drastic increases in interest rates. Right, you've got a lot of sponsors out there that have floating rate debt on their deals. And some of that debt's going to be coming due, right? So what are their plans, you know, to deal with the rising cost of interest rates in this rising cost interest rate environment that we're in? And so I would just encourage all limited partners before they choose to ever select a deal to invest in that they do their proper due diligence on the sponsor and really get to know who that person is, their character, their track record, and quite frankly, the team that they're surrounded with because one one general partner or one sponsor that's managing an asset is not doing that alone okay all of the good ones the, the 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 gold standard sponsors they have an entire team right whether that's a team of three or that's a team of five or that's a team of 170 because they're vertically integrated right they all have a team so really getting to know, you know, the particulars of that team, all the key players within, you know, that particular team. And I would encourage all uh, limited partner investors to do the proper due diligence before ever choosing to send in that wire transfer. Oh, absolutely. Great advice. You know, I, I like to see syndication sponsors that have been through the ringer and, and handled huge problems and come out for the better on the other side, or at least they're part of that team that the, the team members have had that experience before. Uh, so you know that, hey, you know, when things inevitably happen, they're, they'll probably figure it out to be able to, you know, make it work out. And, uh, you know, you had a great point there about how uh, we're you know going to have some trying times for some syndicators with these interest rates and everything else that's going on with the economy. You know the these past few years, like uh, you know the rising tide have has uh, you know risen all boats. Uh, you know so everybody uh, you know even if they didn't know what they do and they looked like a genius because they were making money, but uh, you know now that their bridge loans are coming due and like well do they refi or do they try to get more capital uh, or do they just sell these properties? It's uh, there's going to be some deals that are going to go south, I think, uh, this coming year and, and next year. So we'll, we'll see what happens with those uh, deals. But hey, for those of us who are looking to buy uh, new properties, I think there's going to be some uh, great potential for, for some good value add. So, uh, you know, I know you are in the process of you know, teaching your kids and, and raising them to be passive investors uh, and have that mindset themselves. So, and I, I, you know, like I mentioned, I, I met your son, Jack, who's, you know, gotten businesses going on and, and uh, very impressive for what is it, 15 or is he 16 now? Um, uh, he just turned 16 yesterday. Okay. Great. Yeah. great. Uh, so how do you teach these passive investing skills to your kids? Yeah, that's a really great question. Thank you for, for asking that. I'm very passionate about teaching the younger generation, whether that's my own children or quite frankly, others. And I do have uh, an opportunity to interact with a lot of uh, teen uh, teenage children, uh, primarily because I'm a hockey coach on three different hockey teams. So um, I'm very passionate about, you know, that particular space and really kind of empowering people financially, you know, to, you know, strive towards that financial freedom that everybody so desires, which is really time freedom at the end of the day, right? So when it comes to my children, I'm really encouraging them right now to focus on a couple of things. Number one, obviously, they need to focus on their education. Number two, I'm encouraging them to find something that they're interested in starting a cash flowing business that they're active in. 
Okay, about three years ago, my children all decided that they wanted to start a business. I encouraged them to start a coffee roasting business. So they now manage a coffee roasting business, um, which was about $20,000 for them to start. I told them, if you can get the startup costs paid off in three years, uh, it was a home run. Well, they ended up paying off all starting costs after two years. And so now it's a very cash flow heavy business for them. Um, my older son, Jack, who you mentioned, uh, also came to me with a business plan about three months ago and decided he wanted to start a drop shipping business. So now Jack started Jack's Survival Gear, uh, which is a drop shipping business, and he's looking to kind of scale and grow that business. But beyond that, that's all on the very active side of creating active income, right? Uh, my two older boys have also partnered with me on a couple of real estate syndication deals. You know, they're putting in five figures as opposed to, you know, six or seven figures right into those deals. Uh, but still, nonetheless, it gives them an opportunity to get exposed to, you know, the benefits of passively investing in real estate, whether it's the tax, you know, benefits associated with it. It's the cash flow benefits, uh, or it's the the profit on the equity split that they receive when that deal goes full cycle. Oh, that is fantastic. I mean, you're just teaching your kids to have that mindset. Uh, you know, when, when I was uh, 16, I, I definitely did not have the the business owner mindset at all. I was thinking about other things that had nothing to do with that. But yeah, uh, I tell I tell my kids that if I only knew what they know now, <laughs> things would have maybe played out a little bit differently. Um, as the adage goes, the the best time to invest in real estate, you know, was 10 years ago, right? Uh, the next best time is today. So, you know, they fortunately have a lot more time um, in their horizon, you know, in future than, than I do at this point. Awesome. Yeah. It wouldn't, uh, you know, I think of the book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And in this case, hey, you're a rich dad. You're teaching these kids uh, the, the, you know, the life lessons that are going to propel them much farther than uh, anyone else. Yeah. So, Excellent. So uh, you are, you know, you're, you're running Starting Point Capital. Can you tell me a little bit about what you have going on with Starting Point Capital? Yeah, Starting Point Capital really exists out of my passion for um, educating and teaching others about the benefits of passive real estate investing. So that was really why that company was birthed and formed. Um, I was fortunate enough to have been given the opportunity to help another sponsor raise capital on their first deal last year. Uh, that went off uh, incredibly well. I was able to, you know, hit what the targeted expectation was from me for raising capital. It really gave me the opportunity as well to really reach out to my professional network, people that maybe uh, I worked very closely with a decade ago, but for whatever reason, maybe they moved on to a different career, maybe they moved on to working for a different company, and our paths just didn't have the opportunity to cross anymore. And so that's one of the things that I've really enjoyed about Starting Point Capital is not only the education side of it, which I'm very passionate about because I see how that's been incredibly life transformational for me when it comes to my own generational wealth building strategy, but also it's really kind of allowed me the pleasure to connect and reconnect again, you know, with people from my past, whether that's people that I went to, you know, college with, uh, or that's folks that I've, you know, sold alongside of over the years. I've also been able to expand my network uh, as well. Um, most of my investors that in have invested with me year to date have referred me to one or two others, right? And so just kind of really, you know, expanding that network, doing something that I love very much. And that's kind of playing that matchmaker game, you know, being, you know, kind of that networker, getting to know people, you know, and further building out my business through that strategy. And is the education you're providing primarily through like one-on-one, -on -one, you know, you're talking, or do you have like a book that you have to offer or, or what? 
Yeah. Yeah. So I do some coaching, right. Um, for those that are interested in learning more, I call them my office hours, right. So we, you know, I'll typically have a one-on-one -on -one conversation for 30 to 45 minutes with a potential new investor that learns about me, um, through all kinds of different ways. So I've really been able to form my business so that people are really coming to me versus me trying to go to them. Right. And how I do that primarily is through a few different outreach efforts, one is I do it through digital email marketing. Uh, number two, LinkedIn has been probably my number one. Okay. I really try to engage on LinkedIn as much as possible, uh, at least once or twice per week. Um, I'll post something out there related to passive real estate investing. And, you know, my network on LinkedIn is in excess of 7,500 strong. So I really use that professional network that I have to try to start educating people so that they become interested enough to want to reach out to me to learn more, right? And once they reach out to me, learn more, it gives me an opportunity to schedule that one-on-one -on -one session with them where I can really find out more about what their goals are in investing, right? And they're also able to kind of learn from myself and learn from other stories from other passive investors in terms of what their wealth building strategy looked like. Yeah, it sounds like you're really taken to the strategy of adding value to other people first. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's really the name of the game, right? Is really to provide as much value as I can. You know, I'm really giving people the opportunity to invest alongside me. Um, the opportunities that I've raised capital for year to date have all filled up very quickly, right? So I'm never, I've not yet been in a position where I'm kind of hungry for capital or hungry for people to partner with me on, on potential opportunities. Why? Because the deals go get fully subscribed relatively quickly, right? Which I think is a good thing. I think the worst time to raise capital is when you need it. The best time to raise capital is when you don't. Yep. Exactly. And that's the same, same is true. And uh, trying to get a, a loan from the bank, you know, <laughs> uh, they'll, they're happy to give you money when you don't need it. But uh, when you actually need the money, they're a little stingy with it. But yeah, that's right. All right. Are you ready for a speed round? Speed round. Let's go. What's your favorite part about passive real estate investing? I would say that the cash flow benefits are my favorite thing about it, because really, when it, when it comes to the, the, you know, monthly or quarterly distributions that you receive on deals, those are locked in gains, right? Um, you know, people that own stock sometimes get dividends, right? The highest paying dividend stock that I have today is, is 2%, okay? The highest paid multifamily real estate preferred return that I have today is like 14% with an average of about 7 or 8%. And those are locked in gains that you receive. Excellent. And what do you know now about passive real estate investing that you wish you knew when you first got started? Um, I would say that the one thing that I knew I know now more than I didn't know then was just how the deal itself works, right? You know, how does the sponsor get paid? How does the limited partner get paid? You know, how is there a an alignment of interest between the uh, passive investor? And the sponsor that's actually managing the business plan, you know, what are the different ways that sponsors stress test their underwriting, um, you know, when it comes to evaluating whether or not a deal is going to pencil out for them. I think that a lot of limited partners sometimes uh, don't spend enough time doing their due diligence and they just maybe don't understand, you know, the whole underwriting process. And so I think that that component of 
of, you know, what I've learned over the years of passively investing has really helped me to identify and vet out the right sponsors and the right deals. Awesome. And what's a book that you can recommend to passive investors? You know, obviously outside of the purple book that you brought up, right? Rich Dad, Poor Dad, which I'm sure, you know, most of your listeners have listened to. I know my teenagers have read that book cover to cover. Um, I am also a very big fan and have and do highly recommend um, The Hands-Off Investor by Brian Burke. Um, I also like The Psychology of Money. And then also there's a book out there called Killing Sacred Cows, uh, which is not a book about vegans. Um, it is a book about managing and handling money. So Awesome. And how can our listeners get in contact with you if they want to learn more about what you have going on? Yeah, I'm relatively active out on LinkedIn. So you can look me up out there, uh, Jeremy Dyer. Um, another one is you're welcome to visit my website, which is startingpointcapital.com. Again, startingpointcapital.com. You can also reach me at jeremy at startingpointcapital.com. Great. I'll include those in the show notes. And is there anything else you want to mention that we haven't covered yet? No, but I've really appreciated this time, Matt. Thank you for taking out the uh, time and your data to, to, to check in with me this morning. Yep, sounds good. Well, it's great talking with you and have a wonderful rest of your day. Thank you. Subscribe to this podcast to stay updated on new episodes. Leave a review to let us know that you enjoy the content. There are tons of ways to invest in real estate that you can explore by reading Matt Jones's book called Book About Real Estate. It summarizes many top real estate books all in one. Find it on Amazon, Audible, iTunes, Google Play, or barnesandnoble.com. If you want to learn more about passive real estate investing, go to hawkwingcapital.com.